When you think about business competition, where are you focused? Your town, your state, across the country? You need to be concerned with competitors around the world. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today, you'll hear about the mega trends in global business and how they affect your organization, as well as explore issues, solutions, and some amazing facts about business worldwide. Now, here is your host, Mahesh Joshi. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. In this uh, episode, we're going to talk about shale, what's happening with shale in the United States. And to talk about that, I have with me Mr. Santosh. He was our guest in the last episode also talking about oil and gas, how and where it is going after the pandemic has struck the whole world. So today's discussion with him would be, will the shale revolution survive pandemic? Santosh is the chief executive of Lone Star Group, and he's also the board member of Petroleum Equipment Suppliers Association. So welcome, Santosh. Thank you, Mahesh, for having me. It's always fun to do these things with you. Um, The fact that you keep having me back makes me feel good. Yeah, it's so nice to have you back, and uh, we will continue our very interesting discussion. Uh, This one is triggered from the last discussion. Uh, We had uh, a lot of uh, feedback from our listeners, and I thought that why not we talk about uh, uh, the most important subject in the mind of everybody today, uh, which has got anything to do uh, with oil and gas after the renewables is probably the shale. So if you look back... Uh, just few statistics, and then then we can go from there. Uh, the value of U.S. energy companies in the S&P 500, whatever it was, and if we fast forward to 2020, as compared to past years, it has reduced to half. And uh, the value of those U.S. energy companies has gone down to uh, U.S. dollar almost close to $650 billion, which actually, if you look at it, is less than half that of one company called Microsoft. Whereas for energy, you're talking about your energy companies. And uh, uh, Rystead Energy, uh, the research firm uh, out of Europe, is predicting that, that this can trigger what's happening around us up to uh, some of they came out with very precise number. I don't know whether it's going to happen or not. 533 bankruptcies by the end of 2021 if the WTI price average is US dollar 20. So where will things go from here? Nobody knows. But then there is another statistics that uh, American production reached almost 13 million barrels at the end of 2019. And this was three years in a row uh, that was increasing. And uh, with that, uh, U.S. became uh, self-sufficient. Actually, it became uh, the net exporter of energy. They can export oil and gas. And the 13 million barrel is also in a number which is an annual increase uh, which is needed uh, for oil in the expanding global economy where the middle class is coming up and uh, the developing economies are growing pretty fast, specifically India, China, some others in Asia. Now, uh, if you look at the last financial crisis when we had in 2008, American oil production has doubled. 
So this is a phenomenal growth story. And the main contributor to that is shale, which has uh, provided uh, a lot of oil into the U.S. stream of developing the supply chain. So where do you see from here with the price hovering around wherever it is, floating between the high teens to somewhere in 20s? What's the future of shale? Yeah, so that's that's a big question. Um, you know, let me start with a few caveats, Mahesh. Uh, you know, while we're still in the middle of this earthquake called the pandemic called COVID-19, um, you know, the ground is still shifting um, under us. So we have not yet found terra firma, if you will. So um, you, you're right. The the stats are staggering. Um, you know, I think I think production actually reached 13.1 million barrels a day uh, in February. Um, you're also right in that the shale, uh, the U.S. shale revolution is a significant contributor to all of that growth. Uh, like you rightly point out, I think the last five or six years, uh, oil production in the United States has doubled. Now, having said that, there are a couple of other things we need to consider. Um, oil is still not considered a normal commodity, like, say, you might consider gold. Um, oil is, you know, there are cartels around the world like OPEC. Uh, that generally have been able to control pricing. I think what we're seeing is oil is going to become a normal commodity uh, over time as uh, more and more independent players, uh, you know, privately held companies, publicly traded companies, uh, get more uh, control of production. Uh, to the extent there are a few countries like in the past, uh, you know, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, uh, Russia, controlling majority of the production, uh, oil was never a normal commodity. So, you know, we we, know, we want to keep that in the back of our minds as we discuss what's going to happen with oil and particularly shale in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a tendency a few years ago uh, to, uh, li- like you rightly pointed out, when um, despite the oil price war that the Saudis started, say, in 2015, uh, U.S. production continued to rise. In other words, a lot of cost was taken out of our ability to discover and produce oil. Uh, you know, clearly that that's going to hit a bottom here at some point. I'm not saying that there aren't enough efficiencies left to go after or inefficiencies, if you will. But I think we're getting to the point, as you point out, you know, uh, oil needs to be in the um, high 30s, uh, maybe even high 40s uh, for most companies to be profitable. I think, as you also rightly pointed out, there was a lot of speculation um, and, you know, it was it was top line growth and not really bottom line growth that mattered for most of these oil companies. Um, also, uh, the near free money. I mean, you know, interest rates are so low, it's so easy to borrow. So, yeah, the there's going to be a lot of um, companies that are going to go bankrupt. And the reason for that is uh, twofold. One is oil is not a normal commodity and pricing is highly speculative. Uh, as we found out, uh, you know, when oil went to negative $37 a barrel. I mean, no real commodity trades in negative territory. True. So, uh, yeah, so I think I think that the other bit is, um, you know, there was a lot of private equity money or just money uh, in the oil game that there was an expansion uh, that did not consider efficiencies and true profitability. Um, that And I think that game will come to an end. So... A combination would be because because um, the money guys don't have a lot of tolerance uh, for speculative uh, investments in oil and gas. I think there's going to be a little bit of a restructuring that will correct that. And I also think as oil prices become 
um, you know, more decentralized, if you will, more commoditized, uh, will will come up with a new norm, right? Now, we can talk about supply and demand. There are many different ways we can go uh, from here. I think, uh, again, the caveat being we're in the middle of COVID-19, right? I mean, there's all kinds of perspectives here. I don't think there's a right or a wrong perspective, and I don't think there's a black or a white perspective. I think I think it's billion shades of colors that uh, we need to look at. The, for instance, um, in, in Germany, the um, not just Germany, uh, but uh, Germany is an example, car usage is going up because of the fear of pandemic. Most folks are saying we'd rather sit in a car and wait, same in China, actually, and, and wait through traffic than take the risk of getting on a subway where there are so many other people. So there's all of these considerations. There's also clearly, you know, potentially a fundamental shift in the way we think about vacations and travel. But I think once the COVID issue settles, the world is going to go back to a normal, not potentially a dramatically different normal. I'm sure it'll change in some ways. But, you know, we're humans after all. We want to, you know, we want to enjoy life. We want to travel. We want to take vacations. We want to see new places. We want to interact with other human beings. So I think the fundamental demand will come back. Uh, will it come back in 2020? I don't know. Will it come back by 2025? I would imagine so. I definitely imagine so. So depending on the time scale we're looking at, I think um, in the short term, there's going to be a lot of pain uh, in the oil fields, particularly the uh, U.S. oil fields on land and particularly in shale. There will be many bankruptcies and, and maybe valuations in the stock market, as you pointed out today, are probably closer to uh, the truth than perhaps it has been for the last many years because of the speculative growth. Yeah, you're right. Because other statistics, especially about Wall Street, they may be reluctant now to fund shale producers because uh, there has been a lot of overspending and returns have been low. And in 2016, the uh, upstream operators raised around $35 billion worth of equity, which without pandemic in 2019, this equity issue or issued had fallen to a billion dollar in 2019. So that financial part of it was already getting recognized that the returns are not coming in terms of uh, pure financial returns. But yes, growth is coming. So focus was on barrels and the country was becoming self-sufficient. So this was exciting and it was becoming net exporter. That was also another exciting thing. So that carried till now. But that cannot take too far. And, And unfortunately, when the returns were low, volumes really grew. Uh, as you were mentioning, when OPEC uh, began cutting production, U.S. production started going up, and in last um, almost three years or so, uh, U.S. added around four million barrels a day. So now you see, so the priority was definitely growth over the profitability. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think you know, uh, uh, like most things, you know, like the tech boom in the '90s, you know, most of these booms have, you know, they somehow find a momentum of their own, and then eventually there's a bust that follows, mm-hmm. and then there is a, a resettlement, a new norm, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, look, fundamentally, I don't believe that you know alternate uh, forms of energy are going to in any meaningful way grow, at least within our lifetimes, right? Because if you think about the global population today, I think it's like 7.8 billion, right? And there's no indication that population growth is going to slow down. Uh, and to add to that, the point you made earlier, 
uh, middle classes are rising as well. So the combination of population growth to, say, I don't know, estimates are 10 billion people uh, by 2024, uh, that's significant growth. And then of those people, many are moving from, you know, lower status of economy to uh, to the middle class. So that combination of energy growth um, is uh, cannot be met by, you know, unconventional forms. Not yet. At least, you know, I don't see any technologies out there. But I think fundamentally the need for oil and gas is going to continue to exist for, uh, you know, a meaningful period of time. Now, you know, black swan events like, uh, you know, the coronavirus um, and and the, uh, the, the way the markets work, right, the eventualities of the momentum that we talked about, you know, busting and then resettlement. So there are, there are, there are um, you know, one-time events, if you will, blips that are happening uh, that will change the way we might feel about shale or energy in particular, um, you know, at any given time. But I think, you know, if you were to take the long view, I would say, um, you know, shale, a few things need to happen. Shale has to figure out a way to be um, more efficient. Um, if not, you know, investors are going to lose, um, you know, uh, their their appetite and they're going to go elsewhere, which may be altogether not a bad thing. Uh, yeah, while, while it hurts to see so many people getting laid off and so many folks losing their livelihoods, um, I think it's just the nature of the beast uh, in any supply-demand-driven economies where, you know, even temporary blips can can upset the apple cart, so to speak. How do I feel about it short term? Um, you know, it really, frankly, sucks. This is a bad time to be uh, in the energy space, uh, shale in particular. But I think that 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 um, resettlement, you know, once, once it's all said and done, once we've found firm ground, uh, once we're past the COVID bit, uh, fundamentally, there is no reason why economies cannot recover uh, to, say, February of this year's levels. There's, there's nothing going on like a financial crisis, you know, nothing major, uh, you know, uh, that, that should permanently alter. And I think, I think there's going to be a pent-up demand as well, if you think about it in terms of, um, you know, a rubber band. I think we're going to whiplash back. Uh, you know, folks, many folks I know are just tired of sitting at home, and I think folks would want to you know, go back to work, who want to travel. And I think demand for energy is going to come back. And, you know, we'll be having a different conversation, I'm sure, by the end of this year than we're having right now. Correct. I totally agree with you. Santosh, we'll take a short break and we'll continue our discussion after the break. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi and I have with me uh, Mr. Santosh, CEO of Lone Star and uh, board member of Petroleum Equipment Suppliers Association. And we are talking about what's happening with shale. What's, what, what's going to happen with it also and what's the future of shale in, in uh, United States? Now, when the shale revolution started in U.S., everything was looking very good. And uh, the whole world wanted to do it and take advantage where else the shale resources are. Uh, now, with pandemic and the prices where they are, temporarily for now, uh, the thought processes may change. And uh, there could be another dramatic change when the demand comes back, which could be um, sooner or later. It will be there when uh, we resume our normal life. And there, it will be a new normal, but there will be a normal life. So, uh, Santosh, what I was thinking about that, uh, yes, shale was doing very well. Uh, there was a lot of investment which went into shale. Now, there were a lot of small uh, operators got into shale. There were some new players, some um, uh, multiple companies, independent operators were there. And now with, with the current situation where the recovery for them would not be as much because they will be making losses at the current price and the cost for production being high. And uh, also another compounding factor, the depletion rate of wells. To keep them going in the business, they need to constantly keep drilling, so find new wells, drill, so that you recover for what depletion has happened in the existing wells, uh, you go to the new wells. Now, in terms of whatever we talked in the earlier uh, session about the investment, that there was a lot of investment coming earlier into it, which was basis the growth, not basis the return. What could be the future? Definitely, as we talked about those bankruptcies coming in, is it that the small companies will get bankrupt or independent operators, uh, uh, they will just disappear? Or is it they will change hands or get consolidated with large players like Chevrons or Exxons? I don't know who it could be. How do you see that? How it'll play out? Yeah. So, so, so I think I think it's a bit of everything that you mentioned, Mahesh. Um, yes, some, some companies will just have to shut. They'll have to go through, um, you know, significant capital loss, if you will, in a Chapter Thirteen type of, you know, just wind down the business. Uh, clearly, capacity needs to come out, right? Uh, again, if you just think about broader terms, in macroeconomic terms, the price of oil fluctuates so wildly because the system is not efficient. It's not an efficient capital markets for oil. Uh, and the reasons for that we've discussed before, you know, a combination of cartels uh, and free market, you know, mostly free market here in the United States, um, cartels or, you know, national oil companies like Aramco, Pedavesa, uh, you know, some of the Russian oligarchs, um, they, they, you cannot really control 
it's not a true free market uh, system. But I think we're going to be heading towards a truer free market system, uh, particularly if the Aramcos of the world go public. You can only imagine that shareholder um, uh, pressures uh, to improve profitability would mean that some capacity will have to come out of the market. Right? While I think we discussed in the last segment that, uh, you know, the long run, um, I don't see any significant uh, demand deterioration, um, you know, absent another black swan event like COVID. So if that's the premise, then I would say the right things that would happen are some companies go bankrupt, uh, others get swept up by the larger players. You know, clearly in today's world, the stronger your balance sheet, the better you can survive. And if you have a weak balance sheet, if you're leveraged, you're done. It's just simple. Uh, you know, speculating on price of oil is generally a fool's errand just because um, it's not it's not planable. It's not mathematically modelable because there are way too many changes and way too many perspectives. You know, there's the investor perspective. There is the national security perspective. There is, uh, you know, certain countries will not survive if they don't get, like you said, Saudi Aramco probably needs to be in the 80s for, uh, you know, for their national stability. Uh, whereas in the U.S., even in the 40s, uh, shale players are not able to make money. So, you know, where is oil going to end up? Somewhere in that range, you know, hopefully clearly north of minus $37. Uh, and probably not in the $200 range that a few people were speculating just, you know, months ago. Um, but I, I think um, it, it may be more useful to think in terms of, um, you know, the investors' incentives to stay in this game. Um, and I think many investors uh, have lost their appetite to be in the oil and gas space, which is not an altogether bad thing. You know, when, when you're just throwing money uh, left, right and center and not really looking for a financial return, foolish things can happen. You overbuild, you overstructure, uh, you become inefficient, and you're less focused on profitability. Whereas, you know, the capitalist in me, Mahesh, will tell you that if you don't have a really good uh, view, um, a goal of what your profitability needs to be and how quickly you're going to delever, uh, you'll end up, um, you know, losing your business. And I think, I think with with the number of bankruptcies that we're about to see, we're seeing already. Uh, I think folks are going to wisen up and they're going to be better players now. Clearly, socioeconomics and politics play a big role in here, right? So in this country, if you ask a Democrat, you'll have a different version than if you ask a Republican of the way they see the world, period. And particularly the way they see uh, oil, uh, you know, given given the environmental impact um, and, and all the other uh, political issues that go with it. But, you know, going back to, you know, we were we were happy, like you mentioned, that we were energy independent and actually transformed to being a next uh, a net exporter of uh, energy. Uh, I think there's a national security imperative uh, to stay that way. So even that is though very there may true. be an economic... You're so right. That's very yeah. true. Because when we became, uh, after the shale revolution, you see the geopolitics changed. It was uh, it was changing the the global strategic environment. How uh, uh, it was becoming, or rather, some uh, some of the pieces in the geopolitical environment started becoming more conducive to U.S. interest because the That's US, correct. U.S. dependence That's- on that had started going down, and uh, and 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 the global energy abundance which came in and which made America to reach that position of strength on energy security was. 
largely due to the shale it was american shale it, 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 and it it, it, it was yeah. and yeah and, and shale is a rather new thing anyway mahesh right i'm sure there are people True. very smart geologists working on better methods there would be another revolution i don't know what it's going to be but there will be another revolution to find uh, fossil fuels uh, and to uh, explore them and produce them uh, at even cheaper rates than we are doing today right it's it's actually miraculous if you think about in terms of real money costs right in terms of uh, net present value costs of every year the cost to produce oil has actually gone down not up and every year the uh, oil is becoming more abundant not less so from some perspectives right if i were a consumer of energy i'd be a very happy camper right simply because um energy prices are so low and okay. uh, you know we have energy security so it's not an altogether bad thing now if you're a producer of energy uh, you're beginning to lose control and you're you know you're not able to hold pricing up uh, which is a bad thing so again there are perspectives right if you're you know in any industry that consumes energy which generally is every industry uh, including you know people like bitcoin it requires a lot of energy to keep those servers up uh, you know they're all they're all cheering on the fact that there's an abundance of energy and prices are dropping now there are you know uh, counterintuitively others that are not cheering on right if energy prices go up in conventional and um, unconventional renewables become cheaper uh you know folks that are more concerned about the environment uh would would cheer that on but they are probably going heck how how can solar and how can wind compete with um you know negative oil prices you just can't right so yeah. some of those industries are going to find you know real headwinds when it comes to justifying their own capital decisions correct correct and this this oil uh, uh um, with the impact of oil in the US economy in last few years has been phenomenal and especially this year be, being an election year this crash becomes uh, a very potential uh, damaging content for some people and uh, this can be up for debate and if if you look at it some of the details which come out from uh, American Petroleum Institute uh, the total gdp of united states almost 10% is this sector which is pretty high 1/10 of it, us gdp and uh, it, 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 it is and i think here's why mahesh because yeah. all other sectors of the us gdp require energy absolutely period. yes yeah that's a good so, point so this is one industry that touches every industry that we have in the united states and and consequently you know going back to national security imperative I think it's important for us to have some level of energy independence. I think I think what we have found out is, is if we choose to we can produce more oil. We can produce more oil than there is consumption. Uh then you know that that actually gives uh you know national planners uh some options that we didn't have in the past. Uh so there are ways for instance to restrict uh import of energy. I mean we could legalize it, right? We could say imported energy we're going to put tariffs on it. we could say we're going to ban certain countries from from you know importing or for us uh, importing from certain countries now it's not it's not as easy to do because generally free markets thrive better than you know markets with walls so to speak but uh, you know this may be a particular case where we say for instance you know we can restrict imports from saudi aramco or from saudi arabia to some levels and then tariff the heck out of uh, energy prices uh, you know imported energy after that 
Uh, it may not really work out in practicality because I don't think most people realize that many refineries in the United States are actually owned by Saudi Aramco. Um, and, uh, you know, they have a supply chain that they need to maintain and they're going to look for the cheapest source of oil, which is for them themselves. Now, they're in a, they're in a real bind because from a social perspective, they need the 80s market. How long are they willing to let oil prices, um, you know, flounder around in the 20s and 30s? That That is a matter of uh, opinion, I would say, because I don't think it's a science. Yeah, you're right. To 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 balance the budget, Saudi probably Riyadh needs to be close to 80 bucks. Although the production costs of oil in Saudi wells is even way way lower than what we get uh, as conventional in US or uh, the shale, which contributes the maximum now in the United States. Santosh, we will take a short break and we'll continue our discussions after the break. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with you Mr. Santosh, uh, Chief Executive of Lone Star Group and also the Board Member of Petroleum Equipment Suppliers Association. Uh, we are discussing about uh, the shale, the shale oil and gas in the United States. In particular, today's discussion, we are keeping around the oil and uh, what's the situation uh, currently when uh, at least the oil prices have been in a rebound mode uh, since last month decline and uh, seeing a negative number so will shale survive if yes how they will survive what will happen to so many independent producers 
will they go bankrupt or will they get consolidated or would the large players come into play that's the discussion we are having and santosh before we close the earlier session we are talking about the economics the geopolitics of uh, oil uh, how it is helping uh, us and how it is changing the scenario at the global level i just wanted to add another piece in the in the us economy and this is from a, a recent paper which congressional research service had published that oil's share of the trade deficit for united states had gone down from almost half 10 years ago in 2010 it was almost half of the trade deficit was because of oil and just contributed to oil in december 2019 was minus 0.1% means it was favorable so that was a huge game changer if suppose we would not have attained in united states uh, this uh, this oil boom or the elf oil uh, self sufficiency which you have created through shale the trade deficit would have been way higher no wonder there is so much of uh, investment which went there and now people are uh, uh, worried that uh, at the current price levels we can lo- lose uh, as much as uh, 225000 jobs because that was the rate this industry was growing yeah so it, it, depending on um how you look at it depending on the metric that matters to you uh this is either good news or bad news right so exactly uh, like you said in terms of trade deficit fantastic news in terms of energy self sufficiency fantastic news uh in terms of return on capital deployed for investors not such good news uh in terms of um our ability to flex up and down production without dramatic job losses not good news so i think um, you know like like all businesses have a cyclicality associated with it right i mean if you were in the business of for instance making photographic film uh, the advent of digital cameras completely disrupted your world right i don't think we're going to have that kind of a major disruption in the oil field because like we discussed before and on other segments before today um the fundamental need for energy will continue to grow Mm-hmm. so i think i think what we're going to realize is that uh, profitability matters um and some capacity needs to be taken out is it going to be half the capacity are we going to go back to 5 million barrels a day worth of production in the united states probably not are we going to settle in the 8 or 9 million range compared to the 13 million range that we were in just a few months ago probably yes right so i think that's where the answer lies mahesh um it will the industry will restructure uh, there are going to be permanent job losses but my suspicion also is that uh, the world can potentially grow faster than we're all predicting and we'll find ourselves in a situation where uh, uh, you know demand is barely keeping up with supply which then will tend to uh, you know pull oil prices closer to 100 bucks and everybody would want, want to get back right in because there's money to be made there so i think i think the answer is time to figure out the limits and predict you know where we're going to be within those limits at any given time i also think we'll get more transparent in the way uh, we think about oil as a commodity you know currently like we discussed in the previous segment we don't think of it as a normal commodity you know because because there are inefficient mechanisms at play i think the market's actually going to become more efficient and you know we'll have to live likely with 30 dollar oil or 40 dollar oil 
which means some capacity is going to come out and others are going to figure out cheaper ways to produce oil. I think that's where the answer lies, Manish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, the strength, there's a lot of investment which has come in this business in in past decade or so. Now, if you see, where does the producer's capex go? It normally goes, or almost 90% of this goes to pay oil field services company. And these companies actually do the work, and the top three being uh, Schlumberger, Baker Hughes, and Halliburton. That's where producers' capex yeah. is going. And uh, now this will, uh, if the producers are not able to give the return as the, the investors are expecting, so you have reduction in capex and the price being low. Again, it hits it. It's a double whammy. But in turn, the other businesses also get hit pretty badly. And these were very large companies. In yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. So unlike most other industries, the oil field relies pretty heavily on these services companies because you know it's very difficult it takes a lot of money and a lot of technologies uh, for any one totally independent uh, fully integrated player so yeah, yeah, the, the just the nature of the business it requires um, specialists like Baker or Halliburton or um, um, Schlumberger, previously Rutherford, etc., or other companies like drilling contractors, right? I mean, that's that's a, that's a highly refined um, set of technical competencies that's difficult for any single oil company to replicate because it requires scale to be able to get that good. Um, and, and a lot of those service companies are going to suffer badly. They'll all need to restructure uh, dramatically to, to accommodate the new reality. And we'll find that when many of them go out of business or lose certain competencies, uh, the next time around, I bet you in three years, Mahesh, you'll be having a radio show about can we keep up with demand. Yeah, right. that's very so true. that's that's mm -hmm. the situation we're in. I totally agree with you. But you know, there is another uh, point which which gives a ray of hope. When there was a price war, I mean, there was a lot of uh, price pressure in 2015, 16, uh, and uh, the shale producers that time they outlasted it, and they almost cut down their costs by 50 percent, and they kept growing. And since then, they added another four billion uh, barrels. Uh, per day, that that was phenomenal by using technology by cutting the cost. Now, do you think for now is it that we are at a state that the fat has been taken out? Now, if you cut anything, you are cutting into the bones. Yeah, so so that's exactly right. Actually, if you think about um, you know shale versus uh, say offshore, right? So. Um, you know, if you if you uh, you know read what um, Exxon Mobil's put out, they're saying that they're not going to stop their discovery in Guyana, offshore Guyana, right? Uh, which makes you wonder if the pendulums just swung too far on the shale front, and maybe um, from a longer cycle perspective. Uh, it's better for the likes for the large companies that have the means to do it that can place big bets uh, for them to go back and focus on offshore and maybe let the shale um, call it die out, if you will, or you know restructure. Um, because it is surprising to me that folks are beginning to now think of uh, offshore Guyana as a better bet than U.S. land shale. So. I think I think the underlying maybe there was too much optimism in in shale's ability to deliver 
uh, a return. Uh, you know, clearly its ability to deliver oil is phenomenal, but a return for investors, not so much. So, you know, as investors start focusing on offshore, I think there will be a natural uh, kind of tailing out of production on uh, on land, uh, bringing uh, capacity as in demand and supply back in balance. Um, and I think I think we'll see that some of these uh, service companies are going to begin to focus more on conventional and, and offshore oil and less so on, on U.S. land. That's very true. You bring in a very good point because if you see the boom which came into like subsea and all that was around 2010 to 12. And if you look at the depletion rate for those kind of wells is almost what, 6 to 7%. And if you apply that, looks like they're ready for a new wave of investment because, they, yeah. That's exactly right, right? If you think, you know, it depends on your investment horizon, right? I mean, if you're looking for a quick buck, I think there was a notion that maybe shale can deliver that and it's proven not to. Whereas if you think about the larger, more stabler oil companies, uh, the Exxon, the Chevrons of the world, um, they don't think in terms of short cycle plays. They think in terms of real long cycle plays. Yes. And, and uh, what the conventions are being currently made. Uh, whereas, you know, yeah, I also believe that. Yeah, so the, I think the, the declining rate, the 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 decline rate of shale is way higher as compared to those conventional or subsea. That's correct, and I think because of those uh, those steep decline curves, yeah, uh, the the economics are less attractive. Uh, although the size of the bed is small, so to drill a shale well to frack it, complete it is significantly lower, cheaper than developing an offshore field. Right, uh, but. If you don't get the returns quickly enough, it may actually be worth placing a larger bet on offshore than a smaller bet on land share. Yeah. So, so you're right. I'm so although subsea and those kind of wells, you have to put a lot of capex, and it is much easier in shale, uh, which is low cost. But you're constantly pumping money into it because as it's depleting fast, you're you're, you're uh, fracking more. You're getting into new wells. That's correct. Intervention cost is significantly um, higher as a percentage of total cost uh, relative to uh, more of the conventional wells. And I think we also need to acknowledge that um, our technical ability to uh, go drill deep wells offshore has significantly grown as well over the years, say in the last 10 years, uh, making uh, offshore wells significantly more efficient than it used to be in the past as well. So, you know, there are, there are many angles that we have to consider here. Um, and, you know, the, 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 you know, just watch what the big guys are doing and we'll know where the world is going, right? We, and it's pretty clear what Exxon's doing is they're saying, okay, maybe, maybe it's time for us to go back to focusing on what we were really good at, which is drilling, producing offshore uh, and subsea wells. At, uh, at much better margins uh, than conventional wells. Correct. Sorry, than shale wells. Yeah, because shale, as we see for new wells, new drilling, it is coming around high 40s to uh, low 50s. But for deep water, yes, there's a lot of costs involved, but the break-evens are in low 30s, so which is lower, yeah. than, lower than the shale. So yeah. it is more yeah. justified. So, so I, yeah, I, th I think, you know, um, the, oil, the oil industry is a victim of itself, um, you know, we would not have had the growth in the United States, you know, from 5 million barrels a day to 13 million barrels a day without shale. 
Um, having said that, there's only so much energy at, at any given time we need. And currently, we happen to have more um, oil than there is demand. And, you know, and I'm sure when um, demand picks up or grows, like I think many of us think it's going to grow, we'll be back having this conversation about what is the next thing, right? Do we go back to shale? Because, you know, we'll, we'll take whatever oil we can get. Look, if oil prices were in the 80s today uh, or 90s, people will continue to invest in shale because it's a good play. But, uh, you know, a temporary setback with oil in the 20s and 30s, um, you know, people are going to have to make the tough decision to exit some of those businesses and, and maybe re-enter it when, when um, supply and demand balances. Perfect. Uh, Santosh, we'll take a short break and we'll continue our discussions after the break. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. And I have with me uh, Mr. Santosh, CEO of Lone Star Group and board member of Petroleum Equipment Suppliers Association. Very interesting discussion, Santosh, in uh, past three segments on uh, shale. A uh, lot of good insights. We'll continue our discussion. And uh, before we dig deeper into it, I just wanted to share something with you. That the, the, How do you see the, and the price? dropped, especially the benchmark West Texas Intermediate and the prices, the crude prices came crashing into negative territory for whatever reason. I said this was the, the futures rolling into the next month or something, but it looks like this is a rare triple black swan event, if you can call it, and oversupply because uh, OPEC and Russia discussion. You know, it flooded the market. That was, I think, pre-COVID or maybe during the the COVID itself. And then the second impact which suddenly came up and came up in a big way was a total destruction of demand uh, due to the various uh, things happened in response to COVID-19. And third one, no place to store. 
Everything is yeah. full. Where do you take it? If you go to Oklahoma, go to Cushing, too far away from uh, uh, from sea, and say if you want to put into containers or something. So, so that's how uh, we can look at it. That it was in a way triple black swan event, and now where do we go from here? So we are yeah, I, th- I think. Uh, yeah, a, a few things have been exposed clearly, right? The very last point you made about storage, uh, that was pretty, um, you know, painfully obvious uh, with oil going into negative territory. People are willing to pay you to take their oil because they had no place to put it. So I think, uh, you know, we talked in the in one of the previous shows about uh, the uh, the ETF called USO, US Oil. And they have changed the way they do trading. In fact, they're saying that, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're going to focus more on out months, not on current month, because these were folks that had no intention of actually taking physical delivery of oil. They were just trading on speculation. So I think that will correct itself because nobody wants to see oil negative territory, particularly not speculators. So, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of dysfunctions are being exposed. Uh, the fact that oil needs to be used uh, pretty quickly uh, from when it's produced is also becoming painfully, um, you know, uh, truthful. Uh, there are there are so many oil tankers that um, that are storing oil. I think something like 600 million barrels are being stored on floating tankers offshore. And that's clearly not sustainable as well. And I also think the way oil flows around the world is going to change to make it uh, more transparent and more efficient. So I think a few good things are going to come out of it. Yes, it's going to be painful for lots of families, but I think the system is going to reset itself uh, to be more reliable uh, end-to-end. Everything from folks that want to invest in oil, you know, getting a rude awakening about the true returns of, say, U.S. shale, uh, to, um, you know, midstream companies that do transportation of oil and storage of oil, uh, to, uh, you know, countries determining, you know, what their, um, you know, uh, national security interests are and then regulating the production and consumption of oil. I think I think uh, if there's a good thing here, it's all of those um, um, faults are being exposed and will, will force us to make some meaningful changes. Uh, but then again, I tend to be bullish on demand growth. Um, and I also don't think we, we learn very well because we should not be having booms and busts like we have just within within my professional career. Uh, that's one way too many. And we've had three, four in the last 30 years, uh, which I think is generally unsustainable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but you know, the, the economic, you're right. But, but the way financial markets have behaved and a lot of other things have happened, especially U.S. oil companies, they literally had a feast for more, more than 10 years or almost 10 years. They were rampant liquidity because, because the short-term interest rates were so low, quantitative easing was happening. It's been there forever now. So that the cheap money, when it is available, it creates certain behaviors. And, uh, that, that, and you can see the result of that. That's exactly right, right? So the world is also flush with money, as you know. And there's so much money raised by private equity, and there were a lot of speculation. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, money managers uh, have an imperative. They have to get a return. They're not just going to sit on cash in the bank and are willing to make more foolish decisions that they would normally not make if the cost of money was higher. Yeah, your point about interest rates and, you know, 
and and flooding the system with liquidity has its unintended negative consequences. And I think I think folks are going to lose a lot of money and a lot of careers that that we're going to think differently the next time around when it comes to investing in something like shale, uh, and probably not let the pendulum swing too far. Correct, correct. And you know, <laughs> although in uh, the in the last decade the U.S. oil production almost tripled. And we became number one in U.S. overtaking Russia and Saudi Arabia. There's another interesting fact that uh, two thirds of shale is in big trouble with the current prices. It's almost two thirds, so there is going to be a major shake-up. And uh, you know, in 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 the United States, for the company, they use the word called zombies, uh, who have uh, yes. uh, their cash flows don't even cover their yeah. debts. And uh, yeah, the Walking and, Dead. Yeah. yeah, and there are sixteen percent. Uh, uh, are such companies in U.S. Well, believe me, I was reading somewhere a good proportion of that will be in oil. <clears throat> because yeah, and and actually, it may even be worse than we are actually acknowledging. Because just imagine if um, the Iranian oil were allowed to come into the market, and if if, if Venezuela and PDVSA got its act together, yeah, uh, had. Had Venezuela not gone through its painful political crisis and had PDVSA kept up with uh, production in the two, three, four million barrels a day range, I don't think people would have had the tolerance to invest in U.S. shale, by the way. Right? So a lot of it is, you know, the, 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 the tallest midget syndrome, right? I mean, it may not be an ideal investment, but because it was, you know, lack of investment elsewhere, people were putting money into less efficient investments, uh, you know, less return investments. Um, if Pedavisa comes back into uh, play in a in a meaningful way, I think your shale is gone forever. Correct. Correct. No, but you see this this the geopolitics has such a big role here, and if you look at it, you can say Russians and Saudis in discussion could be counted as good cop, bad cop. And and in which uh, uh, the sufferer, uh, the the lowering of prices could be shale, because uh, that's 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 exactly right. Yeah, both, yeah. Both of those countries have a motivation to take out the least efficient players because they both can produce at uh, true cost of production at lower than uh, than U.S. shale. Absolutely. And, you know, a, a free market capital. Yeah, a free market capitalist like me, uh, you know, doesn't see anything wrong with it. The fact that I live in Houston and, you know, I see so many families suffering because of job losses uh, gives me pause. But, you know, if I didn't have the emotional component uh, that I'm dealing with, uh, I would say the right thing to happen is for the lowest cost producers to win and the higher cost producers to lose. Um, you know, but, but then again, it's not that simple as we've been talking because mm. national security imperatives and other geopolitics uh, come into play. And, you know, we don't want to be... Um, you know, at the behest of bad actors when it comes to uh, our our energy needs. And we also want stable and generally cheap energy. If 90% of the U.S. economy, that's not tied to oil. Correct, correct, correct. And if you get at a reasonable price from other countries, at least your energy needs are met. But your own production, like for the new walls uh, in shale, even if the cost, the break-even could be high 40s to low 50s, uh, even in Texas, as compared to the new oils, the, the average break-even point is not below 25, and it will be 25 or above, whereas in both these countries, as you rightly said, is much lower. And for them, if, if the U.S. shale is out of business, then 
both gain and and the way it looks like now in hindsight so saudis may be playing as protector for global prices when discussing russians the russians have been hurt by the sanctions they are refusing to play the ball and anyway both have both will gain if if the prices go lower and shale gets hit because it's high price but on the other side the biggest buyer if you look at what trend they are setting china has been buying saudi and russian oil it's such a cheap oil absolutely they're buying and storing absolutely. it and while they have delayed on their promise to buy us oil you know when they were going through trade talks on the tariffs and all they were to buy the oil i'm not yeah. sure if they started buying it looks like they're delaying no. on the promise yeah they 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 haven't right so there's yeah. there's a whole set you bring up a very important um another national security imperative right as we go through covid it's becoming painfully aware that our reliance on china for even basic pharmaceuticals and basic personal protective gear uh has hurt our ability to control uh the disease like we could have potentially controlled so uh by by oil prices falling uh, to you know uh, uh, historic low levels the chinese are gaining in their ability to continue to reduce their cost of production of everything from steel to uh, to pharmaceuticals that you know that we are highly reliant upon so that there is china is a big winner in this game uh, no matter what and western countries then have to figure out if if they want to you know ensure that's a whole different topic i'm sure that you would want to have a a show on mahesh uh, but yeah i think i think it would be suffice it would suffice to say that the chinese are big winners in this in this play perfect so uh, looks like we are coming to the end of our uh, time for today's episode uh, santosh thank you so much it looks like that uh, the us shale oil is definitely definitely in a turmoil but you never know how markets behave when the demand returns as you rightly said there could be a whiplash and it comes up and suddenly it goes and if it touches even us dollar 40 suddenly a lot of things come into play but if it does not if it remains at the lower levels say up to 20s or mid 20s or up to 30s till end of the year there are some estimates that as many as 70% of the firms in us shale will get impacted and every shale firm getting impacted is not only the guy there who is drilling then he has got the guy who is carrying the oil then the other five guys get impacted who are supplying the food who is leasing the trucks and there are so many uh, there is a multiplier effect of at least five on that and maybe more now um, yeah there there is an entire universe that relies that people don't automatically think about like caterers that you just mentioned uh, housing companies yeah um, there yeah there's quite a few this is going to be uh, quite destructive but, but you know not all destructions necessarily bad so it looks like that shale is not going to go away it will remain uh, one of the ways of extracting oil wherever it is economical or if the oil price moves in the meanwhile if the current price doesn't improve uh, fast enough yes there will be some businesses which may go out of business or there could be a wave or bankers may push for mna to not lose the investments and uh, or there could be consolidation in the industry so definitely there is going to be some action uh, shale uh, is not going to go away but it may be looking a lot different when we come out of this pandemic yeah yeah that's i think i think you're you're exactly right um things are going to change but maybe not as dramatically as we we think 
Perfect. Thank you, Santosh. Very interesting discussion. Thank you for uh, all your insights. Thank you for having me, Mahesh. You've been listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We hope you'll tune in for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.